0: Bible, that is on page 502 in the Bible that we have there in the pew for you, but uh, Psalm 103, verse 14, for he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. His Ministers who do His will, bless the Lord all His works in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Please be seated and let's pray and ask the Lord's help as we uh, interact with His text this morning. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege that we have to worship. Thank you now for the part of worship that involves interacting with your Word. Your word is true. Help us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, to listen and and discern what uh, you have to say to us in your word, Uh, convict us uh, where that is necessary, and comfort us, and, and challenge us. We pray all of these things through your Holy Spirit, that you would do the work in our lives that needs
1: to be done. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are on part three
0: of a sermon series on God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty. Everybody says uh, God is sovereign. Everybody says that. Every Christian uh, knows that. Uh, Maybe we fight over some of the theological ramifications in various times, uh, but on our knees, we all say God is the Lord, and it's to God's sovereignty that we appeal, even when we pray. And so, it was important, I felt like, uh, for these next 10 weeks or for this 10 week period leading into Advent uh, to examine every facet, just like you would hold up a diamond, or a, not maybe you wouldn't, I wouldn't, maybe you would, I, I, but like a diamond guy would hold up a diamond and, and evaluate it and look at all facets of it and see what is God's sovereignty? What does it involve when we say God is sovereign? How do we make that not just a cliche in our lives or a mantra that we say as as mere words, but what does the Bible say about God's sovereignty? So we talked about the importance of God's sovereignty. Then we looked last week at God's sovereignty in creation and how God made everything. And now this morning in this sermon series called Part of the Plan, we're looking at God's administration. God's work, how the work on this earth gets done, really. And we're looking at God's sovereignty in maintaining and being active in his world. Next week, we go a little deeper into a specific part of of God's sovereignty, which is God's sovereignty in salvation of people. But this week, it's a general look at God's sovereignty. Is God at work or not? So we see two things in this portion of, of psalms. And it's, it's, a, it's a three-point sermon, but I want us to see, first of all, in these two points till we get to uh, the application, the fleeting nature of man and the eternal governance of God. We started out with that wonderful verse, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Don't we say at funerals, uh, uh, from dust thou art to dust you shall return, Uh, It's dust to dust. God was there when he created people. It said God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground. God knows our frame. And he describes us in all of our glory as as dust. Now, you don't want to describe each other. You're just nothing but a dirty, you're just dirt. You're just, but in the substance that we're made of, we are uh, not gods. We didn't create ourselves. God made us, and he formed us out of dust, and it's a good thing that God knows our frame and remembers that we are dust. We're described as as dust. He describes us then, if you look at verse 15, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. We are described as Flowers that are here and then gone. Grass that is here and then gone. He's not saying that we are insignificant or or worthless. Uh, Just talk to somebody who recognizes the beauty of of flowers. You want to show your love to somebody, uh, sometimes you buy them flowers, sometimes you buy them a dozen. Sometimes you buy them two dozen and you buy their favorite kind and you do that. Flowers are not bad things. He's not saying people are bad or people are worthless, but he's saying people are like flowers. There's a flourishing. There's a beauty in people. There's a wonderfulness, but he's saying they
1: are temporary. We're here. We're gone. We make some kind of a mark. We're
0: gone. We do what God has put us here to do, and then we go. Wonderful people in your own ancestry that you've never met. If you could meet them, you would love them. You would learn from them. I was at a in a meeting one time, and the guy said, hold up your hand if you can name the names of your grandparents. I could do that. By God's grace, I was one of the, the blessed ones. I had four grandparents who loved the Lord and loved me, and we spent time with them and, and, and knew them. He said, keep your hand raised if you can name the names of all eight of your great-grandparents. Honestly, I could do that. I don't know if I could do it now, <laughs> but I could do it then. Um, and a couple of us had our hands. How about your great-great-grandparents? And I've seen pictures like when they never smiled and, and the old uh, tin types, and they looked so stern and mean, but I've heard the stories that they weren't so mean uh, after all. But uh, nobody could keep their hand raised. And people are here, and they live lives, and they cried real tears like you, and they bled real blood, and they worked real hard, and, and they did good things, and they had things that they were ashamed and sad that they did. They lived lives just like the rest of us, but they're here and they're gone. That's what the psalmist is saying here, David wrote this psalm, he's saying, people, uh, you can see beauty in people, but they do not last. Like the flowers of the field that flourish,
1: but they're gone. Like the grass of the field, but it's gone. Somebody put it in a song and said, man, man, your time is sand. Your ways are leaves out
0: on the sea. That's what you are on this earth. I read a book a few years ago that absolutely brought tears to my eyes, an account of one aspect of the Vietnam War, way 1968. And he wrote about the beauty of that city before war overtook it and people died in the streets, the beauty of the people and the kindness and what that city meant. And when it came in and, and And you saw bodies in the streets and basically mass graves and all these people gone. And now you look at it and the city flourishes again and the beauty of the nature and the flowers and all that's there. But the point I took from it as a Christian reading was the sadness of the horrors of that war and those young men who had to do that. But more than that, just the fleetingness of times and seasons. Read the book of Judges and just see how people flourish. They forget God. They cry out to God. God sends a deliverer. Uh, They are saved and redeemed again. And then the same cycle repeats itself over and over again. And you say,
1: that's human history. The wind blows over it and it's gone. It's there, it's gone, it doesn't last.
0: How long does a conservative, Bible-believing, biblical denomination last? Pop quiz. You say 50 years, you'll be in line with our uh, clerk of session who says about 50 years. And it starts out in one thing and there it goes. How long does a... Any freedom-loving institution lasts. I I put this in there for for our our Constitution scholar, and she's not able to be here this morning. But I wrote, how long does a constitutional republic last? 200 years or so? 250? Cycles. Things rise. Things fall. Things begin. Things die. That's the nature. Uh, What does the the Bible tell us, you know, Seasons, the coming and going, read Ecclesiastes and
1: just see how things go and go and rise and fall and there's nothing new under the sun. The Temporary, the fleeting nature of man.
0: Contrasted by David uh, writing this psalm under God's inspiration. Contrast that with the eternal governance of God. Verse 17. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Think for a moment. Just pause and think about what it means. Everlasting to everlasting. Everlasting to everlasting. Lasting forever. Uh, Try to wrap your mind around that. How can that be? We temporary people, uh, God can give us a glimpse and we can understand a little bit of of that perhaps if, if God shows us, but to think about everlasting, always lasting, never wears out. And God describes himself as everlasting to everlasting. Always was, is now, and always will be. God always was. Always was, and then Where did he go to get his building permit to build earth? Who did he have to get inspecting to make sure? Uh, God, the everlasting God, made the earth from everlasting to everlasting. He didn't have to apply for a building permit. When he created the earth and everything else, he didn't have to go shopping for supplies or consult anyone's opinion on what they thought would look best. God, the eternal, everlasting God, was there how long? Can't even put a number on it. And then at one point he said, I'm going to build, because that was his everlasting plan, to build and create out of nothing what we have around us here. He didn't have to subcontract any of the jobs out that he either couldn't do or didn't want to do. God made, God created. He was everlasting. And then there was a point in time, boom, when created matter began to exist. And there was a time when you began to exist.
1: Approximately nine months before your birthday. Everlasting
0: that direction, everlasting this direction. In the future, as judge of all the earth, in front of whom all people, including you, will stand and I will stand, there's not some review board making sure that the judge of all the earth will do what's right to make sure he's adhering to some law because the everlasting to everlasting God, you could say he created the law or you could say he is the law. Everlasting, everlasting human beings, on this earth, temporary. God, eternal. Uh, we can make our plans. We can do our votes. We can design our systems. We can build our things. We can can set things up. We can. Uh, uh, some people decide, what do they do? I, I knew a, uh, there, there's a deal for people that God's blessed them on this earth with a lot of, of financial wealth, and they say, we want to set up a A fund that even after we die, we want to give so it can just keep on doing the Lord's work. And that's one thought. The other thought is, no, I want to see because I don't trust what's going to happen 50 years from now. I want to give it all away right now to a place that's doing good and and do it that way. At any rate, you want to set it up that way. You want to set it up this way. uh, In the end, it's gone. Read Ecclesiastes. It's all about that. God, on the other hand, eternally in charge. And if God is eternally in charge, God doing whatever God wanted back there and creating whatever God wanted, however he wanted to here, and God being in charge there, that implies that God, uh, we can't say he's in charge there, he's in charge there, but he's not in charge right now because he, he put his little creation in charge. No, God is the creator. God is the sustainer. God is Always in charge and still in charge.
1: We want to say, I don't like that very well. I am the master of my
0: fate. I am the captain of my soul. Well, we
1: may not like it at times because we kind of like to be God for a day, but we're not. Our preferences are one thing, and cold, hard facts are another thing. The kid gets his driver's license, drives a while.
0: Parents finally trust him, and he takes a couple of little trips in the car. Then it's his time to go up to the garage and back that old Oldsmobile out of that garage And he's worried that he's going to back out and he's going to back into the pickup truck that's around the corner. He's thinking so much about the pickup truck that he scrapes the car on the side of the garage. And by the time he does that and figures out what that sound is and makes his adjustments and gets out and his heart's beating and his blood pressure's up, he forgets all about that pickup truck and puts it in reverse and hits the pickup truck that he didn't want to hit anyway, which is why he hit the garage. What does he do then? He sits there and says, I wish this hadn't happened. 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 He looks at the car. He looks at the truck. I wish this hadn't happened. Eventually, that young man has to face the facts. I don't like this situation, but this is the situation, and now I've got to do something about it. I've got to appeal. I've got to make remuneration. I've got to hope my... Mom and dad understand that uh, I'm an early driver. I, I'm, I'm going to try and make a subtle uh, excuse for myself, but I know there's no excuse, but I hope that they make an excuse for me. I hope they bail me out. I hope they. And, and you, you deal with the facts. Whether you like the facts or not, the facts are there. The sooner the young man gets to that point, then he can make the proper strategy to present it to his parents face up to his consequences, maybe receive blanket forgiveness, whatever needs to be done. The facts are these. God is from everlasting to everlasting. God was sovereign there. God is sovereign there. God is sovereign here. And we look at it and we say, okay, that's the world we live in. Now, what do we do? What's the best way? God's rule is everlasting to everlasting. And we align our thinking accordingly. Wishing it wasn't true, shaking our fist at heaven, giving God the cold shoulder or the brush off and pretending he's not there doesn't mean he's not there.
1: Bad strategy. What about God's eternal rule? Well, he tells us again
0: in verse 19. uh, He says that the rule of God is comprehensive. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. What's a Bible instance where somebody said, I'm going to go hide from God. I I acknowledge that God is here. I acknowledge that God told me to do something. I don't want to do it. I'm going to hide from God. Uh, if you're thinking about Jonah, that's uh, one that's done that. One of many, because we all have done it too. Uh, Jonah's running from God, and, and he can't outrun God. He can't go to where God isn't. And God's there on the ship. God's there in the, the, the large fish. God's there in Nineveh. You can't outrun God. God tells us about himself, and we know this not just from this passage, but through Scripture. God's rule is everywhere. It's comprehensive. Again, I'll read verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all.
1: Former president had a slogan that I, I kind of like. Then I think about it and I go, well,
0: it's got to have some qualifications. Former president whose slogan was "The buck stops here," and that's not a bad thing. What that what that president was trying to say was. I'm not going to give excuses. I'm not going to pass things on. I'm going to have this little thing on my desk. On the one side, it's going to say, I'm from Missouri. The side I can see, but the side everybody else can see says, the buck stops here. Uh, That's good to, to take on ownership and responsibility for what God's given you a steward for. No knock on that slogan. But in the end, there's only one place where the buck starts and stops, and that is the God of the universe. James four thirteen through 16. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town, we'll spend a year there, we'll trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, All such boasting is evil. That's New Testament saying the same thing that David
1: said in the Psalms. Your life is a mist. It's a breath. It's different with God. God has always been there. God will always be here.
0: God was the ruler there. God is the ruler there. God is the ruler here. And he makes things keep running. There's an old philosophy that said God is like the cosmic watchmaker. He winds the watch, creates it, makes the watch, winds it up, and lets it go. And, And the world just takes care of itself. And the Bible contradicts that in every, every, every step of the way. Rule over all. All means all. Now, we say, that's something... But what about then, how do people get things done? You can't say people do things. Don't people do things? Are we just all little robots that sit around until God uh, pushes some thing and, and animates some chip and makes us go like robots? Uh, no, the Bible talks about this uh, theological concept of first and second causes. There are causes, first and second causes. Oh, I was going to look this up and look the page. Oh, I did, I did, I put it in there. If you if you grab your hymnal, and in the back of your hymnal, if you want to see this, you can. If not, just listen. But page 851 has our, in our Westminster Confession, talking about the providence of God. Now, the shorter catechism says this. God's work of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing of all his creatures and their actions. But uh, it, it takes it even to a... a a more involved level in our in our confession in the chapter on Providence, listen, God directs everything that happens there 's nothing I can say this i can 't explain it i can 't um, I sure won 't apologize for it or try to defend it. God is in charge of everything, or God is not God. No angel ever got fired. Why weren't you taking care of her? Why did you let that happen? You're out. Get me in here, somebody that can do my will. God has never had to say that to anybody. God does what God does. We, on our level, where we see things, we know we work for God. We know we're, we're, we're responsible agents to do, to do what we need to do. Um, there's a, uh, somebody uh, said this. And boy, listen, listen to this. It is important to observe that the two causes are not on the same plane. God is the first cause for everything, but he'll use a second cause. Uh, what, let's give an example. You pray for Ron, Mattea and Diane. You're praying for them. Uh, God is sovereign. God uses your prayers for Ron and Diane. Uh, God uses a lawyer here to say this is not right and to motivate whoever needs to be motivated to close this. God's sovereignty overrules. These are the second causes, but God uses them. God uses people to do his work, and he uses things to do his work. They're not the same. God is first cause. Everything else is the second cause. It says they are not coordinate but one is completely subordinate to another. In every event in the natural world, God has completely accomplished what he willed to accomplish. In every event in the natural world, God has completely accomplished what he willed to accomplish. God is not going to write his memoir someday and say, I really wish I had been paying more attention back there in 2020 uh, to Christ the Shepherd Church. He'll never have regrets. He is not limited in any way by the forces of nature or by the free actions of his creatures. They act truly, but they, act, they truly act only as he has determined they shall act. The correct way, therefore, expressing the relation between secondary causes, us and people around us and, and uh, nature and things like that, the only way to express the relation between secondary causes and God, the great first cause, is to say that God makes use of second causes to accomplish what is in accordance with his eternal purpose. Okay? It's not too hard when we think about it. Uh, it's just the submitting to it is the hard part. But the understanding what the Bible says is not hard. Um, call your attention to your, your worship folder, your food for thought. I put this in there. Uh, just of God using Animals. Arthur Pink put this about God using animals in the scripture. We know our Bibles. And I love this quote. Uh, The animals do God's work. God makes a dumb ass to rebuke the prophet's madness. He sends forth two she-bears from the woods to devour 40 and two of Elijah's tormentors. In fulfillment of his word, he causes the dogs to lick up the blood of the wicked Jezebel. He seals the mouth of Babylon's lions when Daniel is cast into the den though later he causes them to devour the prophet's accusers. He prepares a great fish to swallow the disobedient Jonah, and then, when his ordained hour struck, compelled it to vomit him forth on dry land. At God's bidding, a fish carries a coin to Peter for tribute money, and in order to fulfill his word, he makes the cock crow twice after Peter's denial. Thus we see that God reigns over irrational creatures, beasts of the field, birds of the air, fishes of the sea, all perform his sovereign bidding. God not only created everything, but God takes care of his world, using his creation to serve him and do his will for us. So we look at this and we say, okay, we are temporary. God is eternal. What, what's the relation? What possible relation can they be? We're just not fit for each other. We're, we're a bad match, Right? No, God says, no, no, no. And this is the good part. This is the gospel part. This is great if you're a Christian. I I I hope it's scary if you're not a Christian, but it's great if you're a Christian. This is God. This is God and the people he created. That paragraph in the Confession, 5-7, as the providence of God doth in general reach to all creatures, so after a most special manner it takes care of his church and disposes all things to the good thereof. Look at Psalm 103, which so clearly shows the greatness and bigness of God, the temporariness of man, and then shows God's love to you and me, his people. The first part of Psalm 103 that Dave read is our introduction for the sermon. Uh, Psalm 103, verse 3, what does God do? He forgives all your iniquity. This is your primary need. The psalmist started with that. You start with that. Your iniquity needs to be forgiven. There's no place for you with God. No place for you in heaven. No rightness with God unless your iniquity is forgiven. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord with all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Bless just means, essentially, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Praise God. Praise God. What about God? First of all, he forgives all your iniquity, soul. You, soul, you better praise him because he, your sins have been forgiven. It's your all-access pass. This is your backstage pass. This is your admittance to heaven. If your sins have been forgiven by God through Jesus Christ, uh, You get to go there. You get privileges on this earth like understanding, like peace that passes understanding, like a mission that matters for eternity. You get perspective. Salvation is all of these things, and it starts with your iniquity being forgiven. Verse 3, Who heals all your diseases. New Testament refers to the great physician. In the Old Testament uh, times when David was writing this, uh, medicine hadn't been where, where it is, uh, where we've seen it go in our, in our days. Boy, they needed a lot of prayer. Uh, Newsflash, we need a lot of prayer these days. We still need God to be the one who heals our diseases. Uh, New Testament, Jesus went around preaching repentance and forgiveness, and he did heal people physically, account after account. Book of James, he says, if any, if you are sick, call for the elders of the church. Let them pray. So there is an element where it's not just all um, uh, a metaphor for spiritual healing. There is physical God taking care of you. You don't even know what God took care of you uh, to do today. You don't know what you don't know what God did. Maybe Spencer's a little closer. All of a sudden, I'm thinking of Spencer, the operating room nurse who all week long has seen healings and and and, positions and, and work. You say, well, he doesn't heal all of them because we die sometimes, right? And even then, we see ultimate healing in heaven for God's people. All your diseases are healed there. No cancer in heaven, even if you have a cancer-riddled body here. And God says, I'm
1: taking you there. Uh, you're fine. There's an ultimate healing for those times
0: when God, for the very best of reasons, chooses not to do it down here. Verse 4 of 103. Who redeems
1: your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. You think about Another
0: scriptural passage where the psalmist says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and then I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's saying, just look over your shoulder. There they are, goodness and mercy, right there, following you all the days of your life. Psalm 103 tells us about that. Remember, we're talking about the relationship of the eternal creator with us temporary people. It's mind-boggling. Verse 5, who satisfies you with good. And I would emphasize the word satisfies. Some things that we don't even realize are good until we get our contentment and God satisfies us. Hey, God gave you a break today. I, was gonna, I, I printed out the lyrics. I, I like the Johnny Cash version, but Porter Wagner made it famous, of a satisfied mind. But talking about, you've got to go look, to, that's your assignment then Go look at it and listen to it, but I don't have the lyrics to read to you and I'm not going to try to quote it. But you think about that satisfied mind that God gives you, that perspective. Uh, you don't get that just because of stuff that you have or friends that you have. That mind that God gives you to satisfy you uh, with good things. That's what eternal God does for his people. Verse 6 He works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Verse 7, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. In other words, what God does for you as people he loves, he gave you a Bible, Old and New Testament. All, all, All David had was Moses. And he said, wow, God told us about himself in his Bible. That's a good God. Boy, that's a good God to get to
1: know him through his word, and to know him is to love him. Think about all God's done. Verses 9
0: through 14. He knows his people. He loves his people. He forgives our iniquities. You Think about a loving God, and you think about his, his way of reaching down, of coming down to save you. He must love you very much. He must love you very much. Uh, I I tied it in then as we we go for the wrap-up here for for us to to put it all together and head to the table. Uh, I thought of Jesus saying, you guys are my friends. Essentially what we're talking about is God reaching down and, and, and making friends out of us who are enemies. John 15, 12 through 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, friends, for all that I have heard from my father I made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you a blank check
1: because you're part of the family because you're Jesus' friends. These things I command you so that you will love one another. I'm trusting and I'm thinking, I'm absolutely
0: believing that already the Holy Spirit has worked and has given you things to think about and you've made personal applications by God's grace. I would just close with two general applications then for us before we go to the table.
1: Two points. One, become a friend of God if you're not. If you're not God's friend, I'd say, God, I want to respond.
0: I want you to be my friend. And God's calling. There's a general call that's open to all. If God is if God is, is then all of a sudden speaking to your heart, you respond. I've been a false friend, I've been a false friend to people, a backstabbing kind, and one who just used people. And I've done that
1: same thing to God as a non friend. Be God's friend. God, I submit. God, I see from your word today, and you're just
0: speaking to me, you were here from eternity. You're here in this eternity. You're the sovereign God here. And you, as the sovereign God who could have done whatever you want, sent Jesus to earth, fully God, fully man, to be the atonement for my sin. When he died on that cross, my sins were placed on him. And I'm going to respond to that call to be a follower of Jesus and Jesus' friend.
1: If you're not a Christian. You're not God's friend. Become a friend. And for you Christians, you friends of God, well,
0: maybe in your life your old friend needs to hear from you again. Maybe it's been a while. Uh, maybe, maybe he's there for you and, and you, you haven't been there. Uh, Deepen that friendship.
1: Read read his word. Hang out with his people. Pray to him. God is sovereign. God is the creator.
0: God is the sustainer. The next two weeks, we get
1: deep into some things and it's going to be wonderful. God's the saver. God's the friend caller. Let's pray now. Take what we've got. Take what
0: we've got from his word and go to the table. And and even more, ask God to help us to see and understand what it meant to have a body uh, that was real, that died for us, and blood that was shed for us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this psalm. This psalm that's just a typical psalm of all uh, your scripture open it anywhere and and there's uh, Jesus' blood shed for his people. There's God's sovereignty and God's love reaching down to save his people. So we thank you. We got another glimpse of it today from Psalm 103.
1: Help us now as we go to your table. In Jesus' name, Amen.